Welcome to the MOH Podcast. This is Jim Patton, your host. Thanks for tuning in. We've uh, taken a few weeks off for the uh, holidays, and uh, we're back now, ready to go. I hope you had a good holiday season and uh, had a good Christmas and New Year's. And uh, so now we're going to continue where we left off last time. Last time we were talking about supernatural methods of communication between God and man in, in ways of guidance. Before that, we looked at the conditions of guidance. And uh, today we're going to look at dreams and visitations. I would remind you, however, that this is a sequential uh, series. And so if you haven't heard number two and number one, you really need to go back. First listen to number one, then listen to number two, and then move on to this third one. Uh, it's, it's a series that builds one on, on the other. And so uh, if you haven't heard those first ones, please go back and, and listen to those first. And then uh, we're going to let Winky pick up where he left off. And this is uh, part three of this series. And it has to do with dreams and visitations. So here we go. We're talking about the supernatural forms of guidance. We've looked briefly at the voice of God, a, a rare thing that happens, but it does happen, God speaking. And then we've looked at dreams and visions in Scripture. I want to give you the names of a few people who God spoke to in dreams or in visions. John Newton, the famous hymn writer who was a slave trader, uh, owes a great chunk of his conversion experience to a dream, John Newton. And then uh, there was a Baptist minister in Boston called Dr. A.J. Gordon, very well-known man of God in his day, who uh, God spoke to a number of times in vivid spiritual dreams. Uh, some people, like Charles G. Finney, saw a vision of Christ in their conversion. Then he had an experience with God. He was a young lawyer. He was studying Blackstone's commentaries, which were the Bible of the law-speaking world. And many, many times, Blackstone referred to the Scriptures as the basis of all law. And so Finney bought a Bible in order to get some more research. And as he was reading the Bible, he began to get convicted. And uh, he was so convicted that people came into his office he would throw all kinds of books on top of the Bible so they wouldn't see that he'd been reading it. And God and, and dealt with him heavier and heavier ways until finally the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, you know, we're going to have it out today. You're either going to get saved or you're going to reject me. And he went up, up to the woods to pray. And uh, every time he knelt to pray, he heard the wind rustle the branches. And he thought somebody was coming in and he'd wander around looking as if, you know, he didn't want anybody to catch him praying. And this went on for, for about an hour until finally he realized God began to convict him of how proud he'd been. Here he was, a mere mortal being ashamed to be seen on his knees talking to the great God. And so he said, I'm determined to stay here and talk to you if all the demons in hell and everybody surrounds here and laughs. So, and uh, as he prayed, suddenly this tremendous sense of, of release, of peace came into his heart. And he thought he'd grieved the spirit away didn't feel convicted anymore. So he thought, I've grieved God. I've grieved the Spirit away. <laughs> and yet he felt light and happy. And so he came walking down from the woods. He walked into his office, and uh, uh, he felt really, uh, he said his feelings felt like liquid inside him. And he, he was a bass violist. He used to play this big old git fiddle in the uh, choir. He went to a church choir. And he was playing a sacred song, and he, his heart felt melted inside him. And, and then he said, uh, 
he, uh, he turned, and as he was about to take a seat by the fire, which had almost gone out, uh, he saw a vision of Christ. Jesus looked at him. He said, I, he, it was just like he was there, right there in the office. And he looked at me, said nothing. But he looked at me in a way that seemed to break me down like a child. And he, he wept and he wept and he received, in his own words, a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. He bellowed out the unutterable gushings of his heart. And when he finally came to there in that office, the fire had gone out. There was a knock on the door. And this guy was standing outside and said, Mr. Finney, where have you been? You've got to try a case for me. And Finney's whole conflict had been around whether he'd give up being a lawyer. Good thing. And follow what God was speaking to him about. And he opened up the door and he said, I have a retainer from the Lord Jesus Christ to plead his case and I cannot plead yours. And the guy went away like somebody had shot him through the heart with a cross bolt. And two hours later, he got saved. And, and uh, every person, Finney spoke to just a few words, said that the words seemed to pierce their hearts like arrows. That was the beginning of Charles Finney's ministry. When a guy gave up a good thing in order to get saved, and uh, the uh, one other person, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was dying. He had a vision of heaven. And uh, saw it. Many, many times this has happened. So some of the major men of God in history, not all of them, remember this, not all of them have spoken of these things. Because they're not the kind of thing you, you get up and, you know, sort of like everyday conversation you talk about. When a, when a person has an experience like that with God, Finney didn't record this or speak about it until his autobiography, right near the end of his life, when he was re recounting what God had done in his life. And there are many things in his autobiography. Gordon Olson has an a, uh, an unedited version. He said he cut Finney cut out many things from the version he finally sent to public because he did not believe that people would understand what he was saying. He felt that they might totally misunderstand and think he was freaky because God spoke to him supernaturally did various things and he just cut it out rather than cause any problems in the body of Christ. And let me give you uh, some ways, some just few guidelines in which you can make your uh, dream life more sensitive. God can speak to you through a dream. First of all, you must be serious with God and expect him to speak to you in his own time this way. If you do not believe seriously that God can speak to you in a dream, then cheer up, he will not. Secondly, silence. Learn the discipline of silence during the day to cultivate your spirit. We talk too much in the Christian life. The Bible says a fool is known by the multitude of his words. Uh, we need to... Learn silence. You know, a lot of things can be done in silence, just quietness. Um, we don't have to have radios going all the time, television going constantly in the background. I think people are afraid of silence sometimes because then they find out what they really like. And then here's a key thing. Learn to fall asleep with your mind filled with thoughts of God. Young Christians have this all the time. Old Christians get over it. Young Christians thinking about Jesus and they fall asleep. It's a neat thing. I don't think it's a bad thing to fall asleep thinking about God. I think it's a bad thing. People say, I was reading my Bible and I fell asleep. Well, that's all right. Can't think of anything better to read. 
you know, just before you go to sleep. Don't feel good. I fell asleep. Good. You've got some scripture in there. It'll work on your head. Um, <coughs> prayer and praise, Bible reading just before you go to bed. You need to fall asleep just relaxed in the love of God. You've got a whole bunch of things you're worried about and, you know, thinking about in the morning, what am I going to do? Write them out on a sheet of paper and leave them up there and say, God, here they are. I'm going to leave them up here. You know, they'll be still there in the morning. And then, if God gives you a dream, you believe it comes from God, when you wake up, write it out. Write it out on a sheet of paper. Don't delay. Write it out in as much detail as you can remember. And then, do not run down to the five and dime store and buy a book on dreams and their interpretation. Remember what happened to all, all of Nebuchadnezzar's far-out dream counselors, astrologers and all these dudes, they didn't know whether Arthur was Martha. They could, they, could, um, they could give you the interpretation if you told them the dream, come up with all kinds of weird and wonderful things. They didn't even know what the dream was. God gives you a dream, he will show you what it means. So ask him for the interpretation of that dream. Now, I don't, I don't want you to make this into a freaky thing. I've had six dreams and five interpretations today. What have you had? Um, this is something for you. I believe God wants to instruct you by giving you little television commercials at night times, from time to time, to give you little directions and little things. You should learn from them. If you like, discuss your dream with a, here's the key words, spiritual, considerate friend. What do we mean by spiritual and considerate? So I had a dream last night, and, and you know, this and that guy goes, <laughs> and it's not spiritual and considerate. Um, girl came to me one time. Now, I don't have a degree in dreams and interpretations, and I am no Daniel, but a girl came to me one day. You need to understand, dreamers are such a literal, simple thing. A girl came to me one day, and she said, look, so I've had a dream. I've had it a couple of times at least, and I know it's from God. It's a short dream. She said, I'm standing in this place, and there's doors, just like those doors there, those pull doors. So I'm standing there like this, and she said, somebody pulls those doors open, like this, and right in front of me, there's a whole rows and rows of chairs, and sitting on each chair is a white plate, sitting up on the chair, big white plate. I'm looking at this whole rows and rows of white plates. And I want to say something, and as I do, I look down in my hand, and there's a little glass beer. It's in my hand. Fragile little glass beer. And then somebody says to me, you'll have to crush it. And I wake up. And she said, what? I, know, I, I know God's trying to say something to me. Now, this is how silly this thing can be. I said to her, well, what do you do with a plate? What do you do with plates? You eat off them, right? What do you think? You put food on them, right? See? What do you think God wanted her to do? Feed some people. Right? They're sitting there in a church. These plates are sitting on a chair. And it's so obvious. It's not a deep mystical. Perhaps the plates refer to UFOs. Maybe. 
obvious thing. And I said to her, honey, is there somebody very dear to you or something very dear to you you've been unwilling to give up? And she just broke down and wept. She said, I've got an unsaved boyfriend and I've been holding on to him for a year. And God spoke to me a number of times about giving him up because he's no good for me. And God promised me a ministry and I haven't been able to find out what to do. And I said, then I'll have to go. And she said, I know it. She broke up with him and God gave her a ministry. See, isn't that simple though? That's a 15 second dream. White plates and a little glass beer. See? Do you understand what I'm saying? It, it can be a very literal sort of thing. Just boom. Don't get Greek on God. You know what the Greeks love doing? As a grain of mustard seed, it becomes a great tree. And obviously the tree represents, and there are birds in the tree. Now the beak on the bird represents, and they get in all of this fantastic allegorizing. Spirit of God, these dreams are like little parables. They have one fundamental meaning. They don't have all kinds of esoteric little side things. they got one basic thing they try to say to you. And you get that, boom, that's it. Don't go, well, probably, maybe those, maybe the folding doors meant the tabernacle. You know, something just crazy. All right, now let's look at visitation. This is an appearance of Christ. This has happened too. Uh, not to be confused with angels. Angels appear sometimes to Christians. This has happened today. Some people uh, behind the Iron Curtain have seen uh, angels. Just need to say this in passing about angels. Angels are sent by God to help you out with physical things. Physical things. Shelter, food, safety. That's angels' jobs. Angels are not sent by the Lord to give you Bible studies. Angels are not sent by the Lord to teach you a new doctrine which God left out of Scripture. Angels' fundamental purpose, they're called ministering spirits. They minister to the saints. Angels in Scripture, basic task is to be a ministry like Christian butlers. But they are. A lot more powerful than the regular old butler, but nevertheless, that's what they do. In the scriptures, there is an angel called the angel of the Lord. He is really the second person of the Godhead. It's very interesting. The angel of the Lord appears right through the Old Testament, right up to the announcement of the birth of Mary. And then when Christ is born, you never hear of the angel of the Lord again. And then after Christ dies and rises from the dead, the angel of the Lord comes back again. The angel of the Lord then, I believe the messenger of the Lord, word angel, messenger, same word, refers to an appearance of Christ himself. Uh, a fancy name for the angel of the Lord would be a logophonies. Logos, the word of God, phanies, an appearance of the word of God, logophonies. Theophanies is an appearance of God, logophonies is a little more cool. Say, so, well, that obviously was a logophonies. <laughs> Now, um, uh, angels, of course, are still involved many, many times in the Bible. It just takes too long to give you all the ones. They appeared to Abraham in Genesis 18. They appeared to Lot in Genesis 19. Appeared to Moses in Exodus 33. To Joshua in Joshua 5. Children of Israel in Judges 2. Jacob 
Genesis 32, Manoah and Judges 13, David and 2 Samuel 24, Elijah and 1 Kings 19, Zacharias and Luke 1, Mary and Luke 1, the shepherds in Luke 2, Philip in Acts 8, Peter in Acts 12, Paul in Acts 27. They're all through the show. Um, holy angels have special powers and abilities. They man command posts throughout God's kingdom in service to him and are to help protect and prepare man for his wonderful future in Christ. Billy Graham wrote a book on it. It's a bestseller still. Anybody want to know something about angels? There's a lot of books out on it and probably be more. Angels are the goodies. Demons are the baddies. And there are more goodies than baddies. One third of the angels fell. That means two thirds didn't. And I've read, cheated, read the back of the book, the goodies win. <laughs> Hebrews 13 verse 2. says, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained an angel unawares, which is a very spooky verse. I believe that angels still move around on earth today. They can apparently change their form. Um, as a matter of fact, I have a private heresy, which I will now make public. I believe that every person has a guardian angel. That's not heresy, that's scripture. I believe your guardian angel may look like you. In uh, the book of Acts, Peter was in prison. Church was praying to get him out. God got him out. Peter knocked on the door. Little Rosie ran down the thing to open the door, checked out through the bunghole, saw Peter outside, got so excited she forgot to let him in, <laughs> ran right back up to the prayer meeting and said, Peter's outside. They said, that's impossible. He can't be. We're praying that he'll get out. <laughs> And then when she, the Bible says, constantly affirmed that it was so, have you ever seen a little girl kind of, it is so, it is so, when she constantly affirmed that it was so, you know what they said? It is his angel. It is his angel. Now, why do they say that? Maybe because your angel looks like you. That's how God recognizes which one is assigned to who. <laughs> Okay, that's it. You don't have to believe that to get to heaven. <laughs> all right, now, I've given you all of these things uh, just simply to say this. God can sometimes visit and speak in an audible voice and uh, give you dreams, visions, things like this. But I need to say this about the supernatural. God's habit is not to use supernatural ways of speaking to people. God's habit is not to put on shows. And I'll tell you why that is. Because he does not show off. The other reason is, these must be exceptions, because if the miraculous becomes the rule, then law becomes the exception. Do you understand that? If the miraculous becomes the rule, then law becomes the exception. And law is broken by miracle. 
Therefore, because law is a testimony to stability and faithfulness, then God always does miracles as exceptions to the rule. Because, for instance, when God does a physical miracle in the world, like he allows somebody to walk across the water or transport through space and time, or any one of these reversions or suspensions of natural laws which he himself has designed, he has to break a testimony to faithfulness. When the sun stops in the middle of the day and just hangs up there, or actually goes back like it did in Hezekiah's time, you know that cannot be an everyday occurrence. Because the fact that that sun gets up in the morning on the evil and the good alike, that the rain falls and the just and the unjust alike, is a constant testimony to the faithfulness of God. And it is more important that you know that God is faithful than you know he is loving. Do you understand that? That may sound radical, but what if you knew that God was loving today and you weren't sure about tomorrow? What if you knew he really loved you today, but tomorrow he may hate you? What if you were convinced that he was loving today, but that his character could totally alter tomorrow? It would be like an Alfred Hitchcock movie. You see a little girl bouncing a ball, nice little girl. And then you hear this music. You think something very strange about this little girl. See? That which is nice may turn out suddenly to be horrible. That's the base of most Alfred Hitchcock type movies, see? That which seems to be is not as it is. It's really the very reverse. Now, if you did not know God was faithful, it would not help you very much to know that he was loved. Which is why in the Old Testament, the first thing God taught the Israelites that he was faithful. And then he showed them he was loving. And when you're convinced that God is stable and faithful and absolutely trustworthy and always be the same, for you to learn that he is loving is enough to carry you through eternity. People complain sometimes why God didn't work a miracle when he could have. And they blame God. They say, well, why didn't he do this? If he's all powerful, why didn't he do that? Because every time he breaks his own law, he testifies against stability. Now, you as Christians have a right to expect and to believe that God can and will work miracles. But do not be mad at him if in a particular situation he doesn't do things the way you think he ought to. Because remember, he's got to check out the whole universe and all of the future before he comes back and listen and does what you say you think he ought to do. And because of our little perspective, we don't really understand all that. What if the sun only suntanned Christians, but it burned Hugh Hefner? And the rain came down and watered the gardens of the Christians. But it didn't fall at all in anybody else's garden. And the Christian and a sinner were standing on top of this cliff, and the top of the cliff broke out. The sinner fell to his death, and the Christian was suspended, praising the Lord. And that happened every day. Do you know what Christians would be? They would be spoiled. A petted child is a spoiled child. And a spoiled child is a brat. And to be a holy brat is worse than being an unholy brat. And God has no petted, spoiled children. The neatest thing is to handle the same kind of suffering a sinner does and come out with a totally different character. And that is why those three Hebrew children went in saying, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. And they were. But if not, we will not bow down and we will not serve. See that? 
He is able, but if not, then I'm going to be mad at God. Job knew God. He knew what God could do. Everybody came along and said, there's all punishment from God. You've obviously been doing secret sins that nobody's known about, and you've been proud, blah, 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 and God is judging for all this. You know what Job said? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I know what God is like. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to follow him. I'm not going to take external circumstances. No matter what comes down on me, I came in the world with nothing. Looks like I'm going to go out the same way. And he did not sin, nor charge God foolishly with his lips. You need to learn that. One of the major sins of the Christian church today is blaming God for things that he actually has nothing whatsoever to do with. Charging God foolishly. Dumb, dumb ideas. All right? That's a little aside. We say all of that of this. Uh, the supernatural God longs to do, but any time you find that supernatural becomes a sort of a major thing in your life to the expense of your character, then you can bet your life you've moved out of Christian into demonic. Whenever the supernatural becomes the major thing in your life at the expense of the development of your character, you can bet your life you've moved out of the Christian supernatural into the demonic. All of God's supernatural things are done for one fundamental reason, to make you more like Jesus. What you need to see is development and love and patience and goodness and gentleness and power. All of these things are transitory things. They come and go according to needs. But character is that which God wants to build in your life forever. Scriptures, it's not love or gifts, it's love and. And the gifts are the ones that will pass away. You don't need them there. Why do you need them in heaven? People are all saved there. Why well, need a word of knowledge when the person who is the knowledge of the universe is right there? You can talk to many all day. All right. Are you ready for this? Here is now uh, guidance from the body of Christ. This is called Godly Men and Women, the Advice of Experienced Christians. Do not despise this form of guidance. Jews right through Scripture. We call it counseling. Guidance should never ever be used, this kind of guidance should never be used as the sole reason why you do anything. If you get all of your guidance from another Christian, then you are out of the will of God. In other words, I don't care how spiritual a person is, they can be the heaviest, most spiritual person in the world, if all of your guidance and your ultimate decisions are always made by the result of one other Christian telling you what you ought to do, you're out of the will of God. Guidance from counselors, from those who are helping us, who are shepherds of us, or elders, or counselors, or disciples, or any other name we use, always should be within this context. If they counsel us, they may feel like what we're doing is wrong, and then they'd say that, or they may feel like what we are saying is right, and they'll encourage us. But they should never say this. Uh, every decision you make, let me make it for you. Because I'm your leader. That's a bunch of garbage. That takes away from individual responsibility, and that is one thing God has never done. He protects, he treasures, he upholds individual responsibility. Uh, God has given us serious warnings about listening to men without seeking his face first. 
Write these down, please. 1 Kings 13, verses 11 through to 22. Remember what that story was? 1 Kings 13, verses 11 to 22. It's a story of a young prophet that God spoke to and said, don't eat, don't drink, go and deliver this message. So he went off to do it, and an old prophet met him. And the old prophet said, hey, why don't you come and have something to eat with me? He said, I can't do it. The Lord told me not to do it. And the guy said, well, I just talked to God, and he told us, all right, you can come and eat. So the young prophet, instead of checking with God, he went in and ate. And then this old prophet, backslidden old rat back, he stood up and said, in the middle of the meal, you've disobeyed the word of the Lord, now a lion's going to eat you. Well, that's far out. See, so the young prophet got an awful fright. He left his French fries and his sick shake. He jumped on his donkey and he headed out. And a lion jumped out, bit him and ate him. And then a little while later, the old prophet comes along. He's a stranger sight. Here's the donkey and the lion and the body. They're all standing together. That's the Lord standing there. So... Uh, we need to, uh, I think we learned this from this. Do not take anybody's guidance to reverse what you believe God has said to you. Now, if you're wrong, a Christian counsel comes in, should always buy scripture and buy... Uh, I listen to the spirit of a person who's saying, not what he's just saying, but the way he's saying it. You understand? Somebody comes up and goes, I believe the Lord has spoken to me. I'm looking thinking, maybe mm -hmm, do you understand what I'm saying? It's not things you say, because you can say the right things with the wrong attitude. It's the way it's said. Godly counsel comes from godly people. First uh, Chronicles 13, verses 1 to 12. And there's a lot of verses in the Bible on this. Proverbs 15, 22. I'll just give you one or two more. Proverbs 15.22 and Proverbs 11.14. Just an overview of godly guidance. Isaiah 8.20. To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Anybody who gives you counsel that's not according to the word of God, then forget it. I don't care who it is and what, how spiritual they seem to be. It's not according to the word of God, especially if it breaks it. That's ridiculous. People come up and go, well, I know the Bible says this, but I have a deeper revelation of the Lord, and I, you know, yeah, forget it. Isaiah 8.20, to the, you know, that's the scripture I gave you. To the law and to the testimony, they speak not according to this word, there's no light in them. It will never contramand the previous command of God, it will never break the law of God, it will never go against the character of Christ. This kind of guidance confirms an established conviction. God put something in your heart, you're with a counselor, and a person says, I feel like you ought to do that, and you go, hallelujah, that's it. See, it puts it together for you. Uh, it will leave your heart with peace and joy or conviction, never depression or despair. A counsel results in despair and hopelessness is not counsel that comes from the Spirit of God. Sometimes you leave really convicted. Some people don't know the difference between the two. So I talked to this guy, and he really condemned me. What they mean is they were convicted. Talked to this dude, and they went away knowing they had to get something right, and specifically knowing they ought to do it, and they could do it, and they should do it. And they say, oh, that's condemnation. I don't like that. You know what condemnation is? Condemnation is a general sense that you are wrong and no way to get out of it. 
That's demonic. Condemnation is you're rotten, you're rotten, you're rotten. You'll always be rotten. You'll never be any different, so why don't you lie down and eat worms? That's condemnation. Conviction is you are rotten here, specifically. And you ought not to be rotten. God didn't make you to be rotten. And you repent, bring that rottenness to God, you get cleaned up through his blood, surrender wholly over to him, and go on and do what you're supposed to do. That's conviction. Do not confuse the two. Time will substantiate a verdict. Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 to 22. Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 through to 22. If a person gives you counsel, then time will substantiate that. Watch out for anybody who prefaces their words with continually saying these things. God told me. God told me. God told me. I have a witness. God told me. God showed me. Now, it's not wrong to say God showed you or God told you something if he said it. But you must be exceedingly careful of the person who says that all the time. The Lord showed me. God told me. I have a witness. I have a witness. I have I. God told me. And the base of demonic attack is pride. And that me, 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 me. Do you remember that little girl that chased around Paul? Silas chased him around. And they said, she kept saying, these men, these men are the servants of the most high God. These men, look at these men. These men, they're the servants of the most high God. These men. She did this for days. And Paul, being grieved in his spirit, turned around and demanded that demon come out of her life. You know why? Because it's all this men. Look at these men. Look at these men. These men. That's demonic. Forget about them. They were the men. Peter knew he was. Stand up. I'm only a man. Not, I am the man. I'm only a man. Stand up. What are you kissing my foot for? You understand that? He is the one. He's the one. Forget this. God told me. I'd much rather hear people say, you know, I've been praying and been noticing this. See? You can tell, I think. See the eyes. The Lord showed me. That he did. Now what? You're hungry for God, the spiritual world, come real, and you open yourself straight up for demonic deception, unless you understand some of these very basic principles. You stay humble and watch out for fun and games in the spiritual world. I've had enough experience with this stuff to say, baby, I am going to follow Jesus and I'm going to watch out for deception. Watch out for half-truth. Deception usually begins with something that is right, with wrong in it. Billy Sunday said, watch out for half-truth, you might get the wrong half. Deception never comes with a lie outright. It always starts with the right, and then it shifts it away significantly. Until the end, you're totally disobeying God, thinking you're obeying Him. And weave an entire web of scriptures. The devil quotes scriptures left, right, and center can do all kinds of things. Watch your character. Watch your relationship to Christ. 
Watch your humility, your brokenness, your love for God. If that starts shifting because of the spiritual revelation you're getting, then you know it's not coming from heaven. It's coming from hell. All right? Now, quickly, I've got to give you screen. Gifts of the Spirit. I've got to just briefly mention these. They are special directions from the Spirit of God, who we said last night was the executive member of the Godhead. And I am not going to give you a big Bible study on all of these because there's 4,000 books on them, or maybe 400. I don't know. There's a lot anyway. I've read all kinds of different books. I'll just say this, that these various manifestations of the Holy Spirit uh, usually show some work above normal human ability or wisdom or knowledge or power. And all they are is just simply manifestations of the character or the power or the wisdom of Christ through the Holy Spirit. That's all they are. They're the gifts of the Spirit. They're not yours. They're His. And the Bible lists in 1 Corinthians 14, set of them. Some of them have to do with power. Uh, some of them have to do with uh, communication. And some of them have to do with wisdom. Here is a characteristic of the gifts of the Spirit of God. They are natural, normal functions of being involved in witnessing and ministry to other people when you run out of ideas, power, or communication. Not a spooky thing. Jesus never did this. He never turned to his disciples and said, watch this. This is the word of knowledge. Didn't have a big magazine, you know. Jesus uses 75 gifts today. It's part of, this is so Mickey Mouse. So much unrebuked pride and uncrucified foolishness in the heart of ministries supposed to be ministries of God. You need to understand that these are simple facets of the character of God that come out when you need something you have not got on your own. And I believe there's some sincere Christians really love God who have had experiences with God, who have seen these things happen and not even recognize them because it wasn't a bell ringing and angels singing and things going off just before it happened. For instance, there is one called the Word of Wisdom. Take this. Word of Wisdom is supernatural counsel. Has this ever happened to you? You're talking to somebody. You're trying to help them. They ask you a question. You really don't know what the answer is. So you start off with just a scripture, you, you know, you, you, you know something, and you start to tell them. And as you start to tell them, suddenly the whole thing is there, and you're telling them, and as you're telling them, you're freaking out, because you're thinking, wow, I can't, you know, I can't wait till I leave so I can write this down. This is so heavy, I can't believe it. You have, you have never heard it before. As far as you know, you've never seen it, heard it or knowing it, or understood this before, but in the act of reaching out to minister to somebody else, God comes through totally naturally, totally unobtrusively, not blank mind, and then, zap! You go, ah, now I move into the realm of God, and all this foolishness. It's just there. See, just so natural, just there. Sometimes word of knowledge, and wisdom and knowledge, two different things. Knowledge is knowing your tank is almost out of gas. Wisdom is stopping to fill it up. 
word of knowledge. You're talking to a person and suddenly you know what the problem is. You just, boom, you know. Same with discerning in spirit. Same with the power gifts, gifts of healing. And with these vocal gifts, ability to speak out with power from God, having something from him to say. All of these gifts are there. Just simple, natural, normal manifestations of the Spirit of God when you get in a situation you can't handle. The reason why we don't see a lot of these is first because we don't meet some very simple fundamental conditions of obedience, surrender to God. We're not in the Word of God, we're not in prayer, and we're not ministering. These only function when you run out, when you go beyond what you can possibly do. Then God comes through. He loves putting you in situations where you run out. We avoid them. Well, I couldn't do that. That's the point. You should do it then. That's a good time to do it. Then you know if God doesn't help you, you're sunk. <laughs> All right. Now, guidance, of course, in this area, the reason why I picked these ones particularly is because guidance in this area comes word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, and not prophecy here is not usually used for guidance. And prophecy in the Bible is not fortune-telling. Fortune-telling is a fatalistic thing. Prophecy in Scripture is a speaking force. Fortune-telling says, you're going to marry a tall, dark man. You will have 75 children, and then you will die in an auto accident. You know, that's fortune-telling, right? What it does is it locks you into a pattern which you cannot escape from. Biblical prophecy, if it ever touches the future, it goes like this. Here comes Agabus, and he holds up Paul's belt, and he says, the man who wears this, if he goes to Jerusalem, will be bound. And there's a choice. You're going to go or not. You see that? In other words, if you go there, there's people waiting to tie you up. The guy who wears this belt. And Paul says, I'm not only ready to go, I'm ready to die there. And he goes. See the choice involved? One is fatalistic. The other one has... A warning, words, and then you either choose or not choose. Uh, many times in Scripture this, but uh, I haven't got time to give you all of the verses. But uh, none of these take priority over the written word of God. Any word of knowledge or prophecy, anything you get that violates the Scripture, forget it. Okay, uh, by the way, these always function in the context of ordinary human personality. They're not weird. People's voices change. Thus saith the Lord, you know, in this. Forget that. Some people think you have to say that. If God's given you something, you have to say this in a spiritual way. I've heard the funniest, heard drug addicts pray, and I've, they've listened to the preacher that, you know, prays like this. Oh, God, uh, we ask uh, that you uh, do uh, a new uh, thing, uh, and, uh, uh, and I'm thinking, brother, well, you talk like that normally? Oh, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you, Lord, you, Lord, everything, Lord, that you said, Lord. You said that to me, I think you're weird. Winky, I ask, Winky, that you, Winky, would, Winky. <laughs> no wildfire excitement in these things. No screaming, no harshness, no yelling and shrieking. Some people see the Spirit of God works with them. They don't know what to do. Never felt like that before, so they do weird things. Ah, 
crazy. No, I've seen people do crazy things. Well, God is trying to get their attention so he can say something. Instead, they run around, throw wobblies. Pray for the church, friends. Pray for the church. <laughs> okay, those are there, and I've, there's chunks of stuff on that. Um, now, let me give you some... Well, I'll just throw this one on. God's servants in the ministry. Often people have had fundamental answers to their lives and ministries by somebody preaching a sermon that exactly answered, exactly answered the question. How many have ever had that? A tape or a sermon or something? You know, just bam, exactly. Uh, and I believe in the ability of the Spirit of God to custom messages to people's hearts. And if, if, the, if a man knows God and he seeks God, then a lot of times you, the Lord will speak to him strongly about a particular thing just for one or two people in that whole audience. I've never forgotten. In New Zealand, one time I was preaching uh, in this evangelistic outreach, and it was just before I was getting ready to go overseas. And I've been praying uh, late in the afternoon. I usually use the afternoon for night services and get ready and rest and study and pray and all this. I was praying, and I got absolutely nothing. Nothing. Just zero. And I was praying and praying now and saying, God, I need something. I can get up there and say nothing. Nothing. And finally, I look at my watch, and it's like 10 minutes that people are coming to pick me up. Take me. You know, it's half an hour driving to town, and then they're going to put me down there, and I'm going to preach on nothing. And I got desperate. Now I said, oh, God, if I don't have anything, I'm just going to say, I'm sorry, I don't have anything. And dismiss the whole thousand people there. Because I can't get up there and say nothing. And, and, and I'm really desperate. I'm pounding on the bed and praying and all these <laughs> revival things. And the Lord dropped one thought, one single word into my mind. Strongly, the word run away. Run away. Just boom, like that. And I said, run away, run away. In the Bible concordance, runaways, where? Run away, who run away, which run away, you know? Everything, man. But see, this excitement that comes, you know, God's saying, run away, run away, see? So I'm looking, Adam and Eve, run away, you know, Cain, run away, Jonah, run away. Thank God Jesus wasn't a runaway. John, through all this, see? Sin makes people run away, I'm riding. People pick me up, they say, you ready? And I go, huh? I talk to him, I think, he's weird. I'm writing, <laughs> run away, run away. Half an hour, I'm writing, in this, writing, turning pages over. It's music going on, I'm writing. See, scribble, scribble. Final song comes on before the message, running, run away. <laughs> Still finishing, man. Now Winky Pratt is going to speak. I get up there in the pulpit, bow your heads. <laughs> Tell you one thing comes hot, hot off the press that way. Now the devil hasn't got time to get ready for it. <laughs> well, I preached the message, an evangelistic message, and and uh, spirit of God worked, and we had a large number of kids get saved. But the the hall was emptying out, and there was about you know maybe fifty or sixty people, you know, the last people just packing things up and stuff. And uh, a girl came up to me and she said. Uh, would you come and talk to my friend? 
And I said, is she wanna wanna see me? Because sometimes people say, come and talk to my friend. They don't wanna see you at all. You know, some manipulating little person trying to get, go and preach to them, you know, my son is not saved. Well, you don't preach to him. Nasty boy doesn't want to talk to anybody, but you go and get him anyway. So I said, does she want to see me? Uh, why don't you come up? She says, she can't, she's a cripple. She's down there, the, and I saw this girl sitting down there, crutches, and she was just, went up to this girl, who's a you know, little girl, not a really a nice looking, just a total mess, you know, looking girl, right? Who's sitting there, and she was howl just sobbing. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, you preach that sermon for me tonight. And I said, I did? She said, yep. She said, outside this place, in the next 10 minutes, a girl is going to come. She's a lesbian. I've been in this crippled children's home for all these years. She said, tonight was going to be the last Christian thing I ever went to. Because from this thing, this girl is going to pick me up and take me away with her. And I was never going to come to another Christian thing again. I was finished with God. I was finished with Christ. I was finished with all of this stuff. I was going to go and sell my life out with this girl. Nobody would ever found out what happened to me. As far as I know, I'd come to this rally and then I would just vanish. And she said, you got up there and you preached. All right. You know what the last words I wrote down? I've still got them there in my bag. The last words I wrote down was this. You may be a Christian girl who has drifted far from the love of God. Tonight, strings of his love tug at your heart again. Come home. Run away. Who would have ever known, man, that a crippled girl could run away? God knew. As far as I'm concerned, that whole message, because all the other people got saved, was for one little girl. You understand that? Any man or any woman that seeks God and gets guidance from him concerning messages, sometimes it's a real answer from heaven. It's, a, it's, a, it's exactly what a person needs to change their whole life. And there are, there are going to be people in heaven because one message, one man, one woman obeyed God and did and said what God told him to say. And we need to realize how important it is. Uh, I think when you listen to messages, you should get into the habit of taking notes. If God speaks to you, write it down. Um, I, I've got, that's a good habit to get into. Guy gets up and starts giving announcements, and I'm writing, man. I just... <laughs> Good habit to get into. Okay, now quickly, we want to talk about personal guidance, individual guidance, day by day, ordinary, normal, daily guidance. And this is the way God most likes guiding, and uh, he does this all the time, and we'll do it every single time you need it. First one I want to deal with is how to get guidance from the scriptures, because this was a real puzzle to me for uh, almost a year, I never, ever had guidance from the scriptures. I, I, you know, I could read. I wasn't that dumb. I could read the words, and I knew what the stories meant, but I never felt that special sense that God is speaking to me from the Bible. And let me give you what I think is a basic principle here in guidance. How many of you, I call this the jigsaw principle. How many of you, probably most of you have, have done a jigsaw puzzle. Put your hands up. Okay, almost everybody. Then you, those of you who don't know what a jigsaw puzzle is, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that is cut up. It's a picture of some kind that is cut up by a special kind of saw called a jigsaw. 
and and there's all of these sort of looks like that, you know. There's all of these funny. I'm terrible at drawing. And it's like this. The picture has all got bits of it. And, you know, this kind of thing. For a year, as a young Christian, I did not read, I'd never read, for instance, when I started the Bible through consistently. I read what probably the way that most Christians, young Christians do, unless somebody teaches them. I read like this, you know, called the Blunk Method. And you read it, and very often you'd hit flesh hooks and, you know, the telephone directories, and you'd think, oh, not that. Well, I'll go back to Psalm 23, I guess. You know? <laughs> I mean, we'll say this. If people read Goldilocks and the Three Bears the way they read the Bible, they wouldn't understand that story either. Um, that is really not a good way. <laughs> now, this is a big book. There's 66 books in it. It would take you 72 hours and 40 minutes to read it out aloud. It's a big book. But you read the Bible, 10 chapters a day, you can finish it in 18 weeks. It doesn't take that long to read through. And every single one of you ought to read it through at least once a year. <laughs> well, let's say that. Read it through once, all right? Um, it can change translations or everything, but you ought to read it through at least once from beginning to end. Especially if you think you're going to minister. Good night. Haven't read it yet, but I've been a preacher for 20 years. Um, <laughs> no wonder you say silly things. Um, if you read the things through consistently, you'll find all kinds of wild things that you never knew was in the Bible. Uh, don't at this point, don't try and do in-depth studies on each word because you'll never finish it. I've, you know, I've seen 80, 90-year-olds that started preaching when they were 10 or 11 or 12, and they're still mind-blowing over the Scriptures. Take a verse they've looked at for 50 years and look at it again, and a whole new thing. You know, it's wild. This is an incredible book. But what you need to do is this. The reason why you should do this regular Bible reading, even if there's no... See, how many of you read the Bible? I want you to be honest. How many of you read the Bible and sometimes it's just been nothing? I mean, you read the words, there was, but nothing. Okay. Now, here's a neat thing. When you start off with the jigsaw puzzle, there's exactly the same problem. You look at it, unless you cheat and look at the picture, you can't see anything in that either. All you do then, you know, you start off, you're getting the corners lined up. Right? That makes it easier. That's the equivalent of Bible study, using a concordance to, to, to put all the words together. It's getting the corners lined up. Now, if you just took, there's the random method. You take any old thing and you look at the whole board and you try and fit something into something. How long is that going to take you? Long. You'll get it finished, 50 years. Hey, I finished this jigsaw puzzle. Now, it'll get a little easier as you go on. Do you see that? As, as you might just... If you look at colors and say, well, this color goes with that color, then you're starting to think. Now, all Bible study and all meditation and scripture, all these things that we're doing are like getting the corners lined up or putting colors together. But if you just read, a neat thing will happen. The more you study and read the Bible, even though there's no great speaking of to you, you are putting in just the dull discipline of putting in these basic bits 
And one of these days, you're going to come along, just in your regular old, ordinary, dull reading. You know, here's another, you know. And what's going to happen is you're going to put in a piece of a puzzle, and suddenly that verse you're looking at is a lot more than that verse. Because what will happen is all of the other verses behind it and around it will suddenly come boom. And what you'll see for the first time is what the Bible means by the word of God speaking to you. Uh, I've been a Christian for quite a time, and I wanted to know what God wanted me to do. Remember, no good Bible college is that time in New Zealand we're talking about. And uh, I was in this camp, and I decided I would just read the Bible through from generation to revolution. I'd read the whole thing. So I started, and about, probably about uh, one or two in the morning, I was reading, quiet in this camp, and I was reading it. And I came across a verse in the book of Proverbs, just two or three verses there. And suddenly the whole thing lit up. I could not, it just looked like it was literally glowing off the page. The words, I'd read, I'd never seen this before in all my life, these words, but they were more than just words. They went, like this. And I thought, oh, and it was like God directly put something right in there for me. In that verse, he showed me how to study, how to prepare for the ministry, what to do, and what he was going to do in my life. I mean, he laid, I wasn't saying, oh, God, you've got to show me tonight or I'm going to die. I was just reading my regular old crunching through from Genesis to Revelation, and I hit the book of Proverbs, and then, bam, out came all these verses. But what actually happened, I got two double-sided, that's four sheets of legal-sized typewritten notes from those four verses. But what it was was all of these other things all coming together in just one verse. Do you understand? All of this stuff which you just read, it's just words. When you put that bit in, boom, all of those other things come, and it's suddenly you're not looking at a puzzle anymore, you're looking at a picture. And the picture is formed by that last little piece that's put in. That is the jigsaw principle, which means you've got to do the plain old daily discipline before that special revelation illumination comes. The more you do the discipline, the more study in that, the quicker this will come. But you've got to have that base. You see that? If God started illuminating isolated little verses without you seeing the whole of it, then you'd start getting freaky. You'd take a little verse and you'd be out of balance. You wouldn't know what the whole content of the thing is like. That's why you've got to plain pay that dull old price. So don't worry about it. Think, just read it, read it, read it, read it anyway. And expect that God will speak to you because he's going to. How many of you got some stuff out of your meditation sessions that you never would have ever dreamed that you found in there? Do you see what I'm saying? That's more like lining up the corners and getting them together. And meditation is an area. Time is getting on close. The open page method, this is the blunk method of guidance, is not one to be abused. Young Christians have done this. Oh, God, what do you want me to do? Took ten men of the elders and said, sit you down here. And they sat down. So they sat. You know, that's really, it's not exactly the biblical method of guidance. But I'll say this. God has actually used that. God is much more keen to talk to you than you are to talk to him. And even dumb little things that dumb young Christians do, you know, God goes, oh, well, 
perish the thought. Well, okay. You know. You have to understand, he is a lot kinder and a lot more willing. Gideon, you know, what? He said, Gideon, go and do this. And Gideon puts all these fleeces out. God could have said, if you don't do it, I'll burn your tail. You know? <laughs> but he went through all of this thing with the fleece and the water. And then he doesn't have to do that. You should obey when he tells you to. Do you understand? God is willing to do that. One time, New Zealand, I was given some money. I was given $40, which was some money towards my ticket. I had to get about $800 to $1,000 in one week's time, which is a fair, this moment, just one way from New Zealand to this country. $1,000, one way. And uh, I didn't have hardly anything. And somebody had given me $40 towards this fare. And I was trusting the Lord would send in the rest in a week's time. And I'm down there in Teen Challenge in New Zealand. And there's a boy that just got saved. He's been delivered from drugs. And he's talking to a friend of mine. He's got a new Bible. He's all keen to follow the Lord. And he says to my friend, how does God provide money? And I'm listening there. My big ears, you know. And the guy says, what do you need money for? He says, because all my life as a non-Christian, he says, I've always gone into apartments, and then when I couldn't buy the bill, I just skipped and then found another one. False names and stuff. And he said, well, I'm in an apartment now. And he says, I, um, I owe the landlord, it's only $40 rent for the month. That's pretty cheap in New Zealand. Too. He said, I owe this landlady $40, but if I don't pay the rent, I'll have to leave. He said, I need that rent money then. Uh, within just a day or so. He said, I need to know how God provides money. How does he do this? So this friend was talking about God moves in mysterious ways, you know, his mighty power to perform. And, and, and I am standing there listening to this with $40 burning in my pocket. And I went through all of these things in my mind. The first one was this. Now, this guy has just come off drugs. If you give him this $40, he'd probably blow it and backslide and stick it all in his arm. And not only that, God gave you this money for your fare. And I know what's going to happen. You're going to take that $40 and God will say, what did you give that away for? I gave that to you for your fare. And you have no right to do that. Just for that, you're not going. <laughs> well, all of these things went through my mind, right? So I needed guidance immediately. So I went in, and I did the Blunk method, which is unforgivable, but I did it anyway. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I opened up the scriptures, boom. It said, Matthew 6, 33, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And I said, well, that's not a very convincing scripture. <laughs> I blunked it up and again, it opened to Philippians. It said, my God shall supply all you need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Just sitting right there. And then I said, well, I don't know. And I said to the Lord, your word says two or three witnesses. I only had two, and I get to have another one. If you want me to give this $40 to this guy, then you better convince me. And I opened the Bible, blunk. And this time it opened to 1 John, and I see these words. Verse 17, 1 John 3. Whosoever has his will's good, and sees his brother has a need, and shut up his heart of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? 
And I ran out of that room, man. I, <laughs> I got that $40, I pulled it out of my pocket, it was all wadded up tight, and the guy had his briefcase open. See? He was brief, this, I got this brief extra, I had his brief case open like this, and I dropped the $40 in there, and this guy, other friend of mine was giving him these verses, and he had them in his Bible, see? He's marking the Bible. And he stuffed his Bible in like 30 seconds after I got He was talking this way, and I sent me home and went, whoop, stuffed it, see? And he stuffed, stuffed, he must have stuffed this thing right in there like that. And his Bible just jammed it in there, see? And then I left. Can you imagine him going home? What that would have been like, see? Gets his Bible up to look at these verses on provision. <laughs> Imagine what that was like, man. Well, I never saw the guy again. I don't know where he was or what, what happened. I never heard the end of that story. But a week later, now I got nothing, right? A week later, a friend of the family comes up to my parents and said, is your son thinking of going back to the U.S.? And they said, yes. He wrote out a check. He said, this is his fare. Full fare, see? He is faithful at promise, guidance, personal, individual guidance. So I'm not going to knock the Blunk method. I'm going to say this. <laughs> Don't misuse it. How's that time? We gone? We shot. We finished. Okay, let's, let's quit. Lord Jesus, we thank you again for these different methods of guidance. We bless you for uh, the way that you're willing to speak to us, even if we're a little dumb and we don't understand all the right principles. If, we, if our hearts are set on knowing God and if our hearts are set on really being uh, people who love you and put you first, you'll find a way to get through to us what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, there's Winky for this week. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you're getting more insights into the ways that God can uh, speak to you, help direct your life, give you guidance so that you can be uh, in His will and do the things that He wants of you. Don't forget to go to moh.org. This is a place where you can find more discipleship training materials. If you want to hear more podcasts, you can click on the podcast link. If you want free downloadable uh, discipleship training materials, then you can uh, click on the on that section in the online website. And uh, get things that you uh, that you need to help direct you in your own personal walk and in your discipling of other people. And uh, that's our that's our first podcast for the year. And thanks for tuning in. We'll see you later. <laughs>